Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the South uh, excuse me, educating the investors of the South Shore and Merrimack Valley for almost 30 years. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed uh, with McNamara Financial. We have offices in Marshfield and Chelmsford, Massachusetts. I'm joined this morning by my husband, Kirk Reed and business partner. And we try not to talk a whole lot about work at home. We do try to take that off the table, but Friday nights and early Saturday mornings are getting ready for the show mm-hmm. and work discussions, and um, but it's all good. So good morning, everybody. We are talking about back to school stuff this morning, not like pencils and paper, but like college related discussions. Um, and we've been talking about the cost of college and, and you know, so th- that there's sometimes a difference frequently a difference between the sticker price and the net cost that someone will pay after awards and and you know that it's um, quite honestly probably impossible to estimate that at least well in advance of your student attending but the the point is that there can be a difference um and we're, we've been talking about ways to save for college in terms of the specifics, the specific investment account, 529 college savings plan being um, the most popular for good reason, for good tax efficient reason, tax efficiency reasons. Um, but there are other ways to save and <clears throat> we are, uh, we'll touch on those in a moment. If you're listening to us in Marshfield, you can, or in the South Shore, 781-837-4900 if anyone has any questions. Um, You can also email us questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. So we touched on 529 College Savings Plan, 529 being the section of the tax code, I believe. That must be right. Actually, I don't know that that's right, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Probably. Um, And, but there's also... um, a 529 prepaid tuition plan, which is different. A college savings plan is like just an investment account, a very tax efficient investment account. A 529 prepaid tuition plan is where you can um, lock in tuition either with a specific state or with a specific institution. You can buy credits and lock in uh, current tuition rates and prepay at current tuition rates to avoid um, the increase in the cost of college. Um, so, but there are, they're not as popular, I don't think. I don't know the statistics, but they're, but, but they're not as popular. I actually can't think of one person that I know that has taken advantage of that because they're, 
they're generally speaking state specific. So like if you lock in tuition credits in Massachusetts, then your student has to go to school in Massachusetts. Otherwise you just get your capital back with like a very nominal amount of interest. So it wasn't really worth it. And, and it's just generally speaking, people don't necessarily know what state their student will go to school in or what institution their student will go to school at when they're younger. So um, they're not as popular, I believe for that reason. Maybe they'll get more flexible in the future and maybe maybe it'll be more of a nationwide thing in the future. I have no idea. I haven't heard, read anything about that, but. Um, so that, yeah, so that's you know, part of, so the part of the inflexibility of them yeah. versus the five, you know, the right. 529 savings plan, you can right. use it for any school, any right. state. This one has a little, you know, it was a little more restricted uh, scope. Right. Um, I guess, you know, the, I guess the maybe the the good thing about this one uh, is that it's you know this one has that kind of guarantee you know that it's basically it's right. it's guaranteed to keep pace with the with the increased cost of school in that you know particular state. Uh, that, that's that, right. So that you know that's that's a that's a difference versus the savings plan you know where the investments right. investment returns are kind of an unknown. Yeah. Uh, so this one you kind of know what you're getting from a return point of view. Um, you know, one other thing is that. Um, you know, on a five twenty nine, you can use it for anything, any any qualified. In the savings you know, plan, yeah. Yeah, so you yeah. can you can use the savings plan for tuition, room and board, you know, certain you know supplies and things like that. Um, for the prepaid, it's really just for tuition. Um, you can't use it for other things. You can't, right, you can't, that's right. You're locking in tuition you rates. Can't that's use, right. You can't use that room money for, for room and board and, and other uh, related costs. Um, so it, again, so it's a little restricted yeah. on that side. I think the idea, the idea of locking in rates, current rates is cool. I think that that's really cool to avoid future inflationary increases. But from a math perspective, like if you think about it, you can either prepay now to avoid, let's say on average, a 5% increase, or you can tuck that same amount of money into an investment account. And depending on how many years your student has before they're going to school, you might be able to equal or out earn that increase if your dollars are invested. Of course, it depends on what the markets do in your period of time and how you're invested. And, and it depends on a lot of different factors, but you, you might, you may or may not be like kind of in the same place if you invest your funds. Um, but I think that that, I think it's a really neat idea. It's just like you said, you use the term inflexible, which, which perfectly describes it. And I think that's why they haven't, um, they haven't increased in popularity, but per, again, perhaps in the future. Yeah. It's like, who, yeah, who knows, you know, oh, you know, my student's definitely going to go to a school in XYZ state. Yeah. And you don't, you don't know that. Yeah. Unless you impose those boundaries on them. I already, right. I already talked to but my, I already did. talked to my daughters about imposing a, 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 a dis like a boundary in terms of distance. Yeah. <laughs> so our oldest, you know, I kind of, I'm, I'm like 80% serious with this. I kind of was like, you get a six hour driving radius, maybe seven. And, th and then that's it. <laughs> that's what I'm paying for a school in a six to seven hour driving radius from, from Marshfield. Um, and I'm like kind of serious about that. I, 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 I don't know. Um, I, you know, not that there aren't some great schools on the West coast or in the Southern part of the country, but, um, I think that there is a plethora of options in this area and I love my babies and I don't want them to fly too far from the nest, <laughs> but we'll see how that changes that in the coming may, years. That may change as time yeah, goes on. Yeah, I know. It, might, it might be, know. It may be, maybe down the road might say it has to be outside the six hour radius yeah. at, at some point. No, yeah. never, never, never. Um, yeah, our, our youngest, you know, I, we, I kind of joke around, like we talk, you know, we talk about college sometimes and I kind of joke around and she just, she keeps telling me, I don't want to go to college. I want to live with you. Live at home forever. Like, oh, that's totally fine with me, sweetheart. <laughs> but you're right. Maybe I'll feel different in 10 years. Um, 12 years. No, 10 years for her. Wow. Anyway. Um, all right. There are other ways to save dollars for college. There is a there's another pseudo appropriate um, type of savings account called a, not a savings account, but a, but a type of um, account called a UTMA or UGMA. It stands for Uniform Transfers or Uniform Gift to Minors Act. And essentially you are making in a, if you fund a UTMA or a UGMA for a minor, um, it is an irrevocable gift to that child. So you are transferring funds into their social security number. It's actually reported um, under their social. And you are, you are saying these funds are earmarked for this child and it can be used in the future. That those dollars can be spent 
for anything for the benefit of that child in the future. So UTMAs are much more flexible with regards to what the dollars can be used for for the child. So they're not education specific. They're just kid specific. Um, and so that's one of the great things about them is that you can uh, parents, you know, can tuck money in a UTMA and save for a student pretty tax efficiently, but not as much so as a 529, which we'll talk about in a second. But the great thing about it is that they can draw funds out of there for a car for the kid, for braces for the kid, for, you know, their high school trip to Italy or whatever it is. Um, it, they're, they're not education specific and they're, and they're um, much more flexible. On the downside, they are not nearly as tax efficient. I, actually, I shouldn't say nearly. For small, do, for, if there are relatively small dollars in a UTMA, like $20,000 or less, then they're pretty tax efficient um, because the first $2,200 of unearned income in a child's name is taxed at the child's tax rate. And most childs, like a, most <laughs> child, most children, essentially don't have a tax bracket because right. most kids don't work and have earned income. Um, even if they're working a part-time job in the summer and they're making five grand over the course of the year, they essentially don't have a tax bracket. They're not paying taxes um, because the standard deduction for them is, um, you know, because because they don't have enough income to to be in a tax bracket. So the first. $2,200 of earnings that that account will generate is pretty tax, is essentially tax-free or very low tax. So I would say if you're, if you have 20 to 30, maybe even $40,000 in a UTMA, depending on how it's invested, it's still probably pretty tax efficient, yeah. very low taxes on that. Um, however, if you get, sub, if, if you have substantial dollars and or substantial taxable earnings in a UTMA, unearned income, meaning the earnings that that account would generate in excess of $2,200 for one year is taxed at a very high tax bracket. It's the trust and estate tax bracket, which in those tax brackets accelerate very quickly. So then you can have high taxes if you have large dollars in UTMAs. So you probably, like if you're saving for college for your kid, you don't wanna tuck a couple hundred grand in a UTMA because it, it won't be tax efficient at all. So if you have relatively small dollars, and you want that flexibility. Like I have some clients who use UTMAs um, if their kids get like christening money, Christmas money, birthday money, stuff like that, you know, relatively small amounts, you know, we're, we're eyeballing, you know, the, the value of that account and we're gonna, you know, have discussions at it, as it approaches maybe 30 or 40,000 and maybe, you know, slow down with regards to that and, and direct to, to the 529. But it's just like a, it's different. Um, there, it, it's more flexible, especially like if someone isn't sure. You know, maybe their son or daughter isn't academically inclined. They think maybe they won't go to college, but I'd like to tuck some money away for them for later. Um, it, it's a it's a pretty good option. Another, go ahead. Did you have to add to that? Well, just I mean, a couple other, yeah, just yeah. a couple other, you know, pros and cons. Um, yeah. You know, so from an investment point of view. Uh, it's a little more flexible yeah, than a 529 because you can invest yeah. in anything. You can buy individual stocks, individual bonds. That's you true. Know, you yep. can buy mutual funds, yep. exchange traded funds, you know, whatever you want. Versus a 529, it's typically just, you know, mutual funds. Um, so At that particular investment company right, where the 529 right. is so held, right? A, so it's a, yeah, you know, it's that's a, true. So, you know, you can invest in anything in a UTMA. So yep. that's, that's one thing. Um, the, you know, like like you said, it can be used for anything. So that, that's, a, that's a pro. Um, a couple of, you know, maybe cons. Um, so, you know, UTMA, it, you know, it's under the custodian's control up until the parent, the, uh, yep. the parent yep. or, or grandparent or yeah, whoever it is, yep. Yep. Uh, until they reach the age of majority. Uh, so in the state of Massachusetts, uh, for example, the age of majority is 21. So when that, that minor turns 21, you know, by law, the control has to be handed over you know, to, to the minor right uh, now, now a major, right. Um, <laughs> major. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, so when they turn 21, if there are still assets in the UTMA now, right. you know, now that the, the kid will, you know, is now almost an adult, you know, or is an adult can do whatever they want with that money. Right. Uh, so, and 
So sometimes when you know people do this when the kid's young and it sounds like a good idea, but then as they approach twenty one, sometimes they you know they get a little nervous about oh what what's my kid going to do with his money? Right. Now, How can I spend it real quick for them before right. before right. they do something irresponsible with it? Right. right. So that's you know so that's yeah. that's just something to be not you know it's um, it's not necessarily a con, but it's just something to be yeah. be aware of. Yeah. Um, that at twenty one it's theirs; they can do whatever they want with it. So I um, actually and I actually think because we had this experience in the past. I actually think that at 18, the student can request control of, of a UTMA, but at 21 in Massachusetts, but at 21, it has to go to the student, mm. the, 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 the parent can no longer. And I, I wanna say that that's true because we had an experience in the, uh, in the past where a minor was requesting control. And I think the law in Massachusetts stated that if the, if the minor requests control they can have it but at 21 it goes to them have you uh, i don't know that yeah i i should have looked into that i'm not i, I know i'm not a legal professional yeah here. i don't know yeah. i mean i, I know yeah. that i know that 18 is the age of majority in, in some states some states it is uh, yeah but in mass it's 21 uh, yeah I, I don't know or maybe the parent has to give them authority but they can give authority at 18 there's some gray area between 18 and 21 and most, you know, a lot, a lot of times parents don't tell their kids about, about right. that this money even exists. Right. So they, they, they don't know. Right. Um, another, another thing, and we haven't really, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit is, um, you know, when you go to apply for college and you're applying for financial aid, right. different assets affect your eligibility in different ways. Right. Um, so when you're, you know, when you're going through that, that, the EFC calculator, the expected family contribution calculator, the, when you plug in different assets, they are, they're weighted differently as far right. as how they affect your eligibility. Right. And any money that's in the student's name is, is weighted much more highly yeah. than the adult. Counts uh, very than, negatively than against you. Yeah. So... So in the case of this UTMA, it's technically it's the child's money because it's in their social security number. Yeah. You know, even if they don't have control over it, it's their it's their money. Right. And so that's gonna, you know, affect negatively affect that's gonna, financial aid. It's right. gonna negatively affect right. their uh, financial aid eligibility. Another reason to not put a lot of money in UTMAs because it negatively versus affects the five twenty nine. Versus the five twenty nine, yeah. Versus the five twenty nine, which is a parent owned asset. Uh, and which is which is weighted less, what uh, less than a, ch a child uh, asset. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And actually, I have a really cool. <laughs> I think everything is cool. No, but I have a chart in my office, and I believe I got it from that SavingForCollege.com website. That website. I'm going to see if I can find it in a minute here. They had those weightings very clearly. So the basically the four factors that affect. Um, your financial aid, at least at the federal level, the federal financial aid, the FAFSA, um, the four factors are student assets, student income, parent assets, parent income. The big, big biggies are the big factors that that the higher these number are, the higher these numbers are, the the lower your financial aid is going to be. The higher your EFC, student assets. So, like if you're if your kid inherited two hundred thousand dollars from Auntie whoever, um, then they're they're going to have they're probably going to have no financial aid, and their expected contribution is going to be whatever the the cost of college is because they have a couple hundred thousand dollars in their name. So student assets count ne very negatively against you when it comes to federal financial aid, and also parent income counts very heavily against you. So again, if your household income is half a million dollars, um, thank, congratulations, but you're not going to get any financial aid. Um, and so those are, are the, those are the two biggies. Student income counts against you, but most students don't have like a substantial amount of income. Um, so, so it's generally speaking, not a huge factor. Parent assets do count toward the expected family contribution not retirement assets, and again, not equity in your primary residence, but equity in a secondary residence, um, and any assets in mom or dad's name that are not in retirement, cash in the bank, CDs, 529s in the mom or dad's name, um, any parent assets count against you, but very minimally. It's like five and a half percent to seven percent. There's a there's a range. It's yeah, like I'm five to seven percent. I'm looking at a, a number right here. Um, yeah. and it says, 
you know, it says the federal financial aid formula typically requires a student to contribute, you know, more of his or her total assets to college each year, up to 35%. Yeah, I was going to say 40. Okay. Where, so, yep. uh, whereas parents are expected to contribute less at, at about five and a half percent of their assets. So in other words, if mom or dad, you know, sometimes in advance of your student going to school, people will kind of hyper-focus on like hiding assets, like spending their cash and, and hiding in air quotes assets. But even if you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, let's pretend you have no five two nines. You just have you have your four hundred one k's at work, and you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. That's great. It's only going to affect your. It's only going to add a hundred thousand. Only adds about five thousand dollars to your expected family contribution. And if the, if the sticker price of that college is sixty grand, a swing of five thousand, and that EFC in my mind is not worth spending your hundred thousand dollars and leaving yourself with no cash. So I, again, I. I, I Sometimes people kind of get nervous and, and focus on repositioning assets when their kids are like freshmen in college. And I'm sorry, in high school. Um, but generally speaking, the benefits don't outweigh um, the cons, right. you know, the, the reasons to not do that. So yeah, parental assets count very minimally against you for, for financial aid. Student assets count heavily against you. So yeah, another reason not to put a lot of money in UTMAs. I think small amounts fine. Like again, if you have 10 grand in a UTMA for your student, then maybe less than half of that adds to your expected family contribution for that year's that year's outlay for college. One, you um, know, one other thing on this topic, you know, um, something you, something that you can do. We're not I'm not saying this is what you should do, but what you could do is like on the 529. You know, you can have a grandparent own yeah. own the asset. Um, so instead of, you know, instead of mom and dad owning the 529, you could ask, you know, um, you know, the grandparents to be the the owners. Yeah. And so, you know, when you go to fill out the FAFSA, uh, you know, you don't have to list that because it's not, you know, it's not owned by the student and it's not owned by the parent. Right. Currently, um, you don't have to. Current. Okay. I think Is that something in the works? Some I feel like I've read about that potentially and I feel like certain institutions will ask about grandparent or other okay. or, or maybe that's, any maybe that's five, that profile um, yes i think some institutions will dig a little bit deeper and look for assets where the student might be the beneficiary um not that not that grandma and grandpa couldn't change the beneficiary but yeah i don't know right. the specifics but i think some schools are trying to dig a little bit deeper to, to figure out what other monies are earmarked for the student so you know and then one thing yeah. on that on that you know on that is you know a couple things so if if the grandparents own it, but then you take money out, right. you have to count that as income the following year when you, when you go to reapply for the FAFSA. Right, you have to show that money as income, right. which and it's going to be for the student, Correct. which is going to which is going to hurt them. Right. Um, so it's great, you know. Maybe so, you know. So one thing you can do there is maybe if you're going to do that, maybe put one, you know, one year's worth and maybe save it to the last year. Right. Uh, right. So it, so that it doesn't hurt you. And then one other thing is that if the grandparents own it. If something happens to them, you know, say they, you know, you know, if they got anything happened, if they got sued or they go into a nursing home or yeah. something, that money is it's up, at risk. Up, up for, right. it's at risk. It's at uh, risk. So that's another thing. Yeah. So when it comes to, to like your cash flow, when, when your student is in school, there are optimum, there's, there are ways to optimize the, fi the financial aid calculation in terms of where you draw the funds from. So if there's any monies in the student's name, like a UTMA, you wanna use that up quickly at the beginning so that subsequent years uh, uh, expected family contributions might be lower. So, so get monies out of the student's name at the beginning. So like UTMA assets should be used freshman year um, or any monies in the student's name should be used up freshman year. Maybe any assets in the in mom or dad's name couldn't be used up in those middle years. To to again because parent, parental assets do count against you, but not so heavily. So kind of use this up in the middle. But like you were just saying, any grandparent owned five twenty nines or aunt or uncle owned five twenty nines, use those up at the end of like senior year if you can, because like you said, it'll count. The following year, it'll show up as income to the student and count very heavily against the student in terms of the expected family contribution. So yeah, optimizing cash flow. If if you are fortunate enough to have, yeah, all, have all these, these choices, all these things, yeah. yeah, you know, and if you have done some, you know, some savings, and if there, if you have some flexibility with regards to where you can draw funds from, there are ways to optimize 
potentially, um, you know, the, the financial aid. All right, so let's take a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my husband, Kirk Reed. We're talking about back-to-school stuff, college-related stuff, because it's that time of year again. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. I totally missed my cue there. Apologies for that. You're listening to Mac. And we're back. Educating the investors of the South Shore and Merrimack Valley since 1990. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial with offices in Marshfield and Chelmsford, Mass. Joined this morning by my husband, Kirk Reed. And yeah, sorry, we totally, we reformatted the show in the last few weeks in terms of the length of the breaks and in the, in the cues and stuff like that. So we're still working out the kinks. So Tim, I apologize. I was not paying attention. Sorry, right, we'll get the hang that. of this. We'll get no the worries. hang of it. Yeah, the, yeah. like the the, uh, the commercials and like the, the little cues and stuff are I, I are get off, it. We're I totally on. get it. Uh, so we are talking about back to school. Um, what I came up with the title for the show. Oh, I put you know what I put it on our I put it on our website. I didn't put it on my outline. Ah. <laughs> I think it was back to school. Uh, college projections and savings, or something like that. I don't know. Just talking about all all things surrounding how parents, in particular, approach this. Uh, daunting task of getting my kids if you have multiple kid or kids um, through college without them incurring such an amount of debt that they are drowning when they get out of school, you know, drowning in debt. So the, the official title is Back to School College Costs and Savings. Oh, all there right. you go. Thank, Thank you, Tim. You're welcome. That, I, that, that was at 5.15 this And you found that morning. on our website? <laughs> yes, greatmacnamaraonmoney.com. Perfect. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Yes, we try to keep that up to date with the coming few weeks shows. Um, well, I just thought it was a good time of year to talk about back to school stuff. And you know, our kids aren't in Marshfield anyway. Uh, back to school yet, but um, as of today, but when, we, when we're live today, but um, next week, yeah. But I know a lot of kids are, and uh, certainly most college students, I think, are back to school. Um, so unfortunately, they, their parents can't be forcing them to listen to the show this morning because they're probably back at school already. <laughs> Um, but they can force them to listen to the like, podcast. That's true. Right. That's yes. true. Uh, right. Yes. That, and and there's your homework. There go true. our babysitters too. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. This time of year, I'm like, all oh, my babysitters go back to school and I have to reevaluate who's in the neighborhood that is available to babysit. So it's that time of year again. Um, all right. We've been talking about all things surrounding and yeah, projecting, anticipating, starting to think about the cost of college. Um, as it, you know, in particular, as it relates to your, you know, particular student, not that it's not that it's an easy thing to do. Um, ways to save for college, um, for, from a tax point of view, the different options you have, from an investment point of view, different options you have, and and I think we wanted to spend this last segment here talking about um, just how you do, how people do it. I mean, it's you know, I, I some, sometimes I meet with people and they're kind of like a deer in the headlights. Like we have kids, we have nothing saved. What do we do? Mm. Um, other people, fortunately for them, walk in and they inherited money from someone, and they're kind of like, can we take this money here and can we earmark this for college and worry a little bit less about that that financial burden? Um, and so I just wanted to, we just wanted to talk through some ways that the people we work with anyway, you know, how they're approaching it. Um, so I guess a few things, I mean, number, your ability to save for college, which sort of translates your ability to pay for your kids to get through college, um, is pretty directly related to your discretionary cash flow. And by that, I mean... And, and priorities. And your priorities. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Um, if, if you... But if you... If you are prioritizing paying for at least a portion of your kid's schooling, which again, isn't a priority for everyone and that's okay. People have different priorities. Um, if you are prioritizing it in some way, whether it's a par partially taking it on or, or fully taking it on, the affordability of it, I think, is directly related to, to what your free cash is. And potentially, if there's an inheritance or whatever, that, you know, that, that changes the things, that changes too. And, or if there's job changes or whatever, that changes it too. But if you, for example, have $100 a month of what you would call free cash, which is, in my mind anyway, 
I put money in my retirement account so that I'm on a good track for that. I pay my mortgage and all my other mandatory expenses. I feed my family. We have a little bit of fun or whatever. You know, again, different people have different priorities. Once you pay for like everything in your life that you need to pay for, whatever's left at the end of the month is your discretionary or your free cash. So if your free cash is $100 a month and your student is 12, unless there's an inheritance or a, or a job change or bonuses or something like that, then, then your ability, what you can afford, what you take on for debt is a whole different option, but what you can afford without negatively impacting your own future is that $100 a month times 12 months times however many years before your student, you know, mm -hmm. then that's just for one student. So, I mean, it's not that, it, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm simplifying it a little bit, but I would start this affordability discussion right there. What is your monthly cash? Well, what is your ability to save? Right. What, what's your monthly cash? It's different for everybody. And now yeah. in... I a pretty easy way to so to, to project that forward. So yeah. in your example, if they have a hundred dollars a month of extra money, and and they've got somebody that's going to be going to college in five years or eight years or whatever it is, yeah, and and they have no you know no reason to expect that their income is going to significantly you know increase. Yeah, that's you know you know and then and then if you show them okay here's what college is going to cost yeah and then it's kind of like well how are they going to how are they going to do that you know how, and how are you going to make that work or or pay back those loans and then that right. that should be kind of a you know a flashing light that right. that they you know they either either need to you know buckle down and save or start having some some hard conversation you know or hard, you know internal conversations about you know how much can we really afford right for college and right you know realistically right and I think so in that. That's in that in that example, that person has a hundred dollars a month to save. Let's for a minute we're gonna factor out the increasing cost of college and we're gonna factor out earnings on your savings because those two things will probably cancel each other out, close to it anyway. So if someone has a hundred bucks a month, that's twelve hundred dollars a year that they can tuck away for this. Their students twelve. So let's give them let's give them my calculator here? Sure, but you but it's ten years. Let's say ten years until they get through school. Well, yeah. I know when they're in school it's not savings, it would just be directed toward the college, but that's twelve twelve thousand dollars. So just simplistically speaking, without talking about their ability to pay back a loan afterwards, but just from that point in time till they're out of school, that's twelve grand total. That's three thousand dollars a year you can afford. And so, you know, plus plus another twelve hundred a year during those four years. Well, I d yeah, I did the whole ten years. Oh, I did no, no, I mean, but during the four years that they're in school. Well, I know if they're twelve and they get out at twenty two. Oh, I'm sorry, I, did I didn't. Yeah, okay, you already built I that already in. Do, okay, I built sorry. that. I built that in. So that's if from but from now until they graduate, you can afford three thousand dollars a year in that example. That doesn't get you very far, depending on where they go to school and what types of awards they get. And if and if the school costs fifty grand and their awards are twenty. And your expected, you know, your your contribution is thirty grand. You can't in until we're going to go a little bit further in a minute, but you can't afford that without changing your life or your long term financial health. I guess I would say so, and that's shocking for people. Um, now let's go a little bit further. That was just over that ten year period of time where that one student got through school. But mom and dad might have an ability to continue working and beyond the student getting out of school and maybe they're gonna work another 10 years after that and they can take some loans and pay back those loans over that next 10 year period. So, and, and I'm fine with that as long as they're fine working that 10, you know, they, they're okay working that 10 more years and you know, from a health point of view, they can or whatever. Um, then that essentially doubles their ability to pay for school. So in that example, now they can afford $6,000 a year. That still might not get you very far in the world of, of higher education, but that's what I would say, I, maybe in air quotes, what you can afford. Now then without, there's- Without drastically right, changing your life, yeah. Then there's, there's this whole, there's a lot of people and there's this inclination for people to use their home equity to get their kids through school. 
because it's accessible up to a certain point, or at least historically it has been, it's a little bit less accessible in the last decade than it's, you know, after the financial crisis and it's been, (laughs) thankfully, thankfully, I think. Um, And, you know, again, it's accessible, it's tax efficient, uh, interest rates are pretty low right now to pay that back. So it's, it's certainly of, I guess I'll use the term viable option for people, but well, you know, you might be able to grab a hundred grand of equity from your house. And then, and then in this case, this person can afford 30 grand a year for school. And, and, and maybe that solves, you know, the problem and pays for the tuition. But what, what people don't always uh, consider initially is, well, then how do I pay that back? Right. right? And so if you're- Because if you can only afford a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. That's the whole, there's this whole other side of the coin. Well, I can grab a hundred grand from my house, but then I have to, it's not like it's not free money right. unless you have enough equity that you can downsize and wipe out that debt when your kids are out of school. Maybe, you know, and this and this is the case for many people. Maybe they're in their big family home. Maybe their mortgage is a reasonable size anyway. They're gonna borrow some from the house. And even if they don't have the cash flow to pay it back right away, after their kids graduate, they're gonna sell the house. There's enough equity in there. They're gonna downsize, move to Florida where it's cheaper anyway. In that scenario where that borrowing of equity from your house doesn't significantly negatively affect you and your financial health, then I think that that totally works. Um, A lot of people factor in a downsize anyway. Maybe downsizes aren't as common as they were in the past, but they still, they still, you know, people still do it and take equity out of their house and get rid of a mortgage with a, with a real estate move. Um, so, I, but I just, I think that while it is still doable, that then we've, I've also come across people like, you know, if, you're, if your house is worth $400,000, for example, and you're gonna borrow a hundred from it and, and you have really no ability to pay that hundred back comfortably, you, in this area of the world anyway, there's not a whole lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of options. I think I'm not a real estate professional, but it doesn't seem that there are a whole lot of options for a downsize. If if your house is three fifty, four hundred, four hundred fifty thousand, and maybe unless you're going to a condo, but um, but you know it, it's not. I don't necessarily. I think people should kind of crunch the numbers and consider what the plan is if you're going to borrow from your house. What the plan is to get rid of that debt. Cause you don't want to carry that debt for the next 15 years. What if we have a spike in interest rates and, and, and interest rates aren't, you know, three or 4% like they are on home equity line of credits or loans right now. I mean, it's, there, there's significant interest rate risk when you, when you borrow from a home equity line of credit, which is a variable interest rate loan. So I don't know. I just, I just, I think it's a viable option for many people. I just, it's not for everybody though. And, and there are risks associated with it. And, and I think people just have to make sure that they have a plan for paying it back. They're going to do that. Um, did you have something to add to that? Well, I, I was just trying to find a, you know, find a loan calculator just to, just to translate that in terms of dollars. Oh, so okay. like in your example, what yeah. you said, a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. I took a hundred thousand dollar equity line. And so at a four, like at a 4% uh, interest rate on a HELOC right now, that's, what, 350 bucks a month without paying back principal. That's just an interest. Right. Um, so if you're free, in that, in our example with this, this couple that their free cash was a hundred, just a hundred bucks a month, how are you even going to pay back your loan? Now, maybe my kids cost me less because they're financially independent when they get out of school. Maybe there's a swing of 350 right. a month. That right. may, maybe. Um, but so I just, so I just did a hundred, so a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Over ten years, yeah, at four and a half percent, yeah, is like it's a little over a thousand dollars a month. It's a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's for this someone in this example where they had very minimal amount of free cash anyway. Don't borrow. Don't borrow money, even though you're borrowing from yourself and your own asset. Don't borrow money unless you have a plan for paying it back. Because we've certainly had people walk in the door and say, "Oh, you know, my kids are." my kids are through college, this feels so great, but now we have a bunch of loans, what do we right. do? How do we pay it back? And it's like, well, why didn't you come in five years ago? You know, right. and we we could have talked about this, but I think people have a, because home equity is so accessible, I think, unfortunately, some people have an unrealistic comfort level with 
their, what they can afford in terms of getting their kids through school. And I think some people kind of get themselves into, maybe they don't, they don't think it through enough and, mm. and they don't come up with a plan. And then, you know, and then that can throw a huge monkey wrench in their own retirement plans, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, I'm a mom. I totally get it. People prioritize their kids mm. and I totally get that. I, but, you know, as a financial professional, it's just, you got to crunch the numbers too and make sure that, that you, you know, you can actually afford this. Um, the, you know, so, so again, approaching affordability in terms of what is your free cash, I think is a great place to start. Some people might be lucky enough to have, you know, annual bonuses that have been pretty consistent or maybe, uh, maybe, um, executive compensation, like stock options and things like that. And, and, and even if people don't have a lot of free cash, they might have these other sources of income that they can kind of earmark for college because hopefully you're not, hopefully you're not relying too much on a bonus because a bonus is discretionary and it's not guaranteed. Right. So, so hopefully you're kind of living your life based on your regular income and a bonus is a bonus. And, and same thing with stock options that, you know, that that's just depending on how the, the you know, stock price of that, of your company moves that that can kind of be like, kind of be like free money. Um, but, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be able to have those other sources of income, those are great. Those are great chunks of money to earmark for college savings. Um, so that, that, you know, starts to change the calculation in terms of what is affordable to me. Um, you know, making conservative estimates about bonuses, knowing fair, full well that those are discretionary. I, th um, I thought maybe we could just run through like a calculation or two if we started with, you know, starting like at birth. Like, yeah. if, like if you started socking yeah. money away as soon as, you know, as soon as you had a child, yeah. you know, we can do maybe just do one or two, you know, even if it's a hundred dollars a month or whatever it is, yeah. just say, you know, if we, you know, assign some kind of a rate of return to that yeah. and just to kind of, I mean, I think, I think look, showing the power of the, you know, the, the time and the compounding yeah. is, is pretty powerful to people yeah. that, you know, maybe didn't, maybe haven't thought about it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. You want to just start with maybe like so a hundred? Like, yeah. Do it a hundred month and then we'll go to 500 a month. All right. So if you did a hundred dollars a month, uh, let's see, and talk about let's see, eighteen years. Do eighteen years. Eighteen years, and as far as a rate of return, I so mean, I, I mean, we, I think we, we usually use like five percent. I mean, over the over, yeah. you know, over the life of a. So actually, when I sometimes when I do this, you can do five percent. Do five yeah. percent while I'm talking. But like as we touched on earlier. I, so someone who's going to, someone who's saving money for like a one-year-old <laughs> that has 17 or 18 years before they need the money, you're, you could be in a high risk, high potential for return portfolio, maybe an all stock or mostly stock portfolio. At least that's what maybe would be our general recommendation unless someone has a discomfort with that. Um, so yeah, target returns, returns in this decade have been phenomenal for our, our aggressive 529 portfolios because stocks have been really great, at least domestically in the last decade. Um, but yeah, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten 10%, you know, you, you could, you could, average for earnings in an all stock portfolio, not guaranteed, but, but that student's probably only in that portfolio for eight, 10 years. And then when they get closer to schooling, then they're lowering their risk and increasing their stable investment exposure. Well, they probably should. Well, they should, yeah. right? And then, and your, your return expectations then are lowered to five, six, seven or three, four, five, you know? So, so as you get closer to schooling, then your returns are tapering most likely b because you should be getting more conservative. Um, so it's just kind of hard to ballpark yeah. over that 18 years. Like what, what's your average? Right, but yeah, I usually really use a five should, or yeah, six. You should yeah. probably do a higher rate for a couple of years and then, but that's, yeah. yeah. So we're just using five as an, as an average yeah. uh, or, or five per year. Yeah. So this says if you did a hundred dollars a month, yeah. starting at, you know, starting at birth, yeah. 18 years, 5%, it comes out to about $34,000. Okay. So in today's dollars, that's like a year at UMass, room and board, tuition, room and board. Mm -hmm. But that's today's dollars. Right. So actually sometimes when I do this calculation, I, I ignore a rate of return. I see. Because we talked about earlier in the show that the cost of college increases by maybe f on average 5% per year. So I like, co I like compounding interest is incredibly powerful. Like if you did that at 10% per year, what would it be? It would be way more than double 35,000. Right at 5%, it's 35,000. If we double the rate of return, please don't expect 10% over 18 years for college funds, but- It's like 55,000. 50, oh, I was thinking it would be more than that. Okay, but you know what I mean? Compounding, compounding interest 
is very powerful. And the earlier you save and the more frequently you save, the better. Um, unfortunately, we have this problem of compounding, uh, compounding is not the right word, uh, fast increasing college tuitions. So while saving in a 529 and, and investing your dollars for college is incredibly important, I think it's kind of easiest to do this calculation by kind of ignoring the returns and assuming that that hopefully you can at least keep up with the rising cost of college. Um, and, you know, for, for how long have I been in this business? Uh, 16, 17 years? Like, I feel like we've been talking about what's going to give here with this rising cost of college education for the entire duration of my career. <laughs> I just did with that hand motion that my dad always does. Yeah. I noticed I totally did it. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, and I feel like, you know, we've talked about on the show before, things are changing, but, but they're not changing very fast in terms of tackling the, the substantial rising cost of college. But anyway, it's compounding interest is amazing and start in the earlier you save and the more you save the better. But, it, but, it, but, but it, well, I guess, I guess another, it, another good point yeah. about this whole exercise is, is the necessity of compounding. Right. If you're going right. to, if you're going to try to even right. try to beat, you know, right. save money for college. Right. Cause you were saying earlier, if call, you know, if your kid is 18, I'm sorry, if your kid is a baby and you're going to save over 18 years and you're tucking it in a savings account at right. the bank. Not that there's anything wrong with savings account at right. the banks. Now it's like a negative rate of interest. Yeah, you're not even coming close with keeping up yeah. with the cost of school. You're lo you're actually losing, you're, you're, you're not technically losing money, but yeah, your relative rate, your, of, rate of return is negative yeah, versus yeah, college. Yeah, so, so it's, especially when a student is on the younger side, um, if, at least have a conversation with a financial professional about, you know, if even if you're not an investor in other aspects of your life or, or don't know much about it, have a conversation about, is this suitable for me? You know, some people are risk averse and some, pe some people like having money in the bank and they feel very comfortable with that. And there's a, there's a comfort level with that guaranteed return. But um, yeah, you're, you're, if, if this is college money and there's a long time frame, then you're, it's in the, the inflation on the college expenses just eating away at your savings and not it's working against you. All right, so I did one other calculation. Okay. So so the last one was a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. At five percent. Yeah. For eighteen years. Yeah. And that came up with like thirty two or thirty three thousand oh, okay. dollars. Yeah. So now I did five hundred a month. Yeah. Same, you know, five percent, eighteen years. Yeah. About a hundred and sixty eight thousand. Wow. That's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So that's Five times, so six, more than so, five times. So $6,000 a year. Five times the savings, but more years. than five times the future value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what's $1,000 a month? Uh, $1,000 a month for 18 years. Because I, I actually, I, I pulled a chart earlier today and I, um, I didn't save the window, but it was, <laughs> it was doing a future dollar tuition calculation, like a future dollar amount of a four-year education at a private school. So, so, so right now it's about, call it a couple hundred grand, 150, 200 grand, maybe on average for private, but, but 18, but 18 years from now, it was like $360,000 for, for one student. It was just crazy. So what is it at a thousand a month? Uh, 337,000. Okay. So that actually almost exactly lines up with the chart I was looking at earlier, which was saying, I think that the average cost of a private education is about $47,000 per year. That sounds a little bit low to me based on some numbers I see, but maybe that includes maybe some boys and stuff. Like that. Maybe that's just tuition. Anyway, this one, this was like, maybe if you're out of pockets, like $50,000 per year or less for one kid times four years, you're looking at, a, you know, a little bit less than a couple hundred thousand dollars for one student. But the, this chart project like future valued that based on a 5% growth of tuition. And I think it was like $363,000 for one student. Yeah. It's just insane. To, I mean, that's future dollars and we do have inflation, you know, that that's hopefully not 5% per year, but, but we do have inflation on average. And um, so, so a thousand dollars a month, 337,000. Might pay for one private education for one student if you pay, again, depends on if you pay sticker price or or, um, or not. But anyway, that's, you know, the point of the show is not to scare people, but maybe scare them just a little bit into, sa into saving. <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> a little fear is not necessarily a bad thing. Well, um, 
you know, a question that I've got before yeah. is, you know, am I better off not saving and, you know, and trying to look for Oh, look my goodness. Poor. No, yeah. no, yeah. no. The answer is absolutely not. No, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no. So, no. I mean, my, Never. my no. answer is always you're much in a much better place saving as much as you can yeah. or, or, or as little, you know, as much as you can. Yeah. Even if it's a small amount or, or what sounds like yeah. a small amount to you, if it's oh. $50 a month, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. It will, it will, it event, it'll grow. It'll, it'll build up to something. It's and, better and than be, you'll be better off ha- better than having, than having nothing. I can just imagine you were like at your desk with like a flip with like a card that you flip up and it just says no in bright red letters. <laughs> and if somebody asks you that again, have it like under your desk. Yeah. And if someone says that again, pull it out and just no. Yeah. Am I better off not saving? No. Yeah. <laughs> You're always better off saving. Yeah. The the pros will outweigh the cons. Um, and I probably. Any conversation related to saving, but specifically in the college, <laughs> yeah. In the college and we just session. and we and we yeah. talked earlier about you know there are there are more beneficial ways to save, yeah, yeah, as yeah. far as yeah. as far as how that's yeah. reflected in financial aid calculations, yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, in, yeah. Do what you can within reason. Don't negatively affect your own financial situation too much. Maybe don't don't make yourself poor and have to work till eighty. You know, to to get your kids through college. It, unless you want to um, talk to a financial professional about about investing and the benefits of investing be, to, to keep up with her outpace, the, the rising cost of college. And there are ways to do it tax efficiently too. And, you know, so, so if you take three things or four things from this show, those three plus it's better to save than not safe yeah. in, in looking poor is you, not going to get you all that far. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're giving yourself more options by, yeah. by, by having some money yeah. uh, than, than, than not. Yeah. Um, even if it's just for books and <laughs> travel costs and stuff like that. All right. Um, all right. So that was our back to school college costs and savings discussions. Uh, it's that time of year. So we thought that that would be timely and appropriate and kind of a fun discussion. Um, not too daunting, but paying for college is daunting. And the earlier you think about it and, and start you know, figuring out how much of your, how much you have for free cash that you can tuck away should you have kids and this is a priority for you, then, you know, the sooner you can do it, the better. Um, We have lots of great resources on our new McNamaraOnMoney.com website. You can link to our podcast. You can watch videos. We're going to try to get more videos on there in the coming weeks Um, and lots and lots of articles for you to peruse. And there's also a contact us button should you have questions that we can answer live on the air or should you have topic suggestions for future shows. We are always welcome to that. It's nice for us to know what people want to know. Uh, so that we can uh, develop interesting shows in the future. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money, and you can always find out more about me at McNamaraFinancial.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.